Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hey, hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, joined as I am each week uh, by, with media executive Grail Hallett and OTB producer and Syria uh, specialista Sam Griswold. OTB this week coming to you from Nantucket Island. That's right, a little island uh, 40 miles off the coast of Cape Cod where the one percenters and me happen to be this week. Um, <laughs> we just finished up the Nantucket Comedy Festival, which supports a children's charity called Stand Up and Learn. Uh, guys, you know all about Stand Up and Learn. I've talked about it before, but it teaches kids ages eight to e- eight to eighteen how to write and deliver their own stand up comedy routine, building self confidence and self esteem. It was a lot of fun, man. We uh, a real killer set by uh, America's Got Talent runner up Tom Cotter. He uh, he actually lost to the in the finals to a dog act. We didn't let him forget that <laughs> Boston and Boston legend Don Gavin. So it was a lot of fun. But guys, a lot going on domestically this week with the men's and women's national teams playing in the Gold Cup and Olympic action. The men uh, limping to a win uh, and in a big shocker for the country, but not us here at Over the Ball. The women got their ass kicked by uh, Sweden 3-0. And Grail of Hallett, who is never right, was actually right. He kind of called that one. He's been calling it for a couple of months. He saw some danger signs. So we'll talk about that. Our guest today on, on the show is Gianluca Batoni. Uh, Sam, you can just correct my Italian there. But but Tony, you're on it. But but Tony, he's the director of admissions for Soccer Management Institute in Rome. They run a a soccer school which accepts young uh, American players and trains them in the art of Italian football. Uh, But uh, before we get started, guys, what are you over today on OTB? Sam? Yeah, I'm over just too many overlapping competitions right now to keep track of. Um, I know this is a strange year with everything pushed back as a COVID, but right. I mean, what would have happened had the U.S. qualified for the Olympics? We would have essentially seen three different versions of the national teams this summer, right? We would have seen the team that won the Nations League, the team at the Olympics, and the team at the Gold Cup, which is what's happening with Mexico because they're in the Olympics. Um, you know, I think it's great. Guys are getting a chance. There's the exposure, but it's just... It's a little too much to keep track of. I would like to see the Olympics, which does this weird, you know, for the men, U23 plus three overage players. I would like them just to see them just go to a U21 tournament. There is yeah. no, in my opinion, like marquee U21 tournament for world soccer. Yeah. And I think it would be really cool. Yeah, I don't like the 23 plus and, and that whole thing. And, and you know what? With the amount of men's players we're producing, uh, I can't keep track of them all. Uh, it would be nice to see a third team playing as well. They get some uh, get their their at bats at uh, thing. So um, so so Grail, what do you got? Uh, I'm still over little uh, slight deviation on this. All things related to Hope Solo. Oh, God. And We've in particular over her for years. Well, so in, in particular, her latest musings about the loss to Sweden in the 2016 Olympics. So we're going back again. Here we are. she comment again? No, we're in the Hope Solo time machine. We're going back five years and she can't let it go. You know, this was the comment after the game where she said uh, Sweden are a bunch of cowards after they knocked the U.S. out. She, She basically implied that if a male player had said that, there never would have been the backlash, which I totally disagree with because- Sour grapes is sour grapes, whether or not it's coming from a male or a female. So right there, I fundamentally disagree. Mm-hmm. And then then she uh, put out this doozy um, about that loss. At least I cared about losing. I had many teammates who went to party in Rio and didn't really care that we lost again. So I'm thinking like if I'm a yeah. teammate of Hope Solos, I'm like, not so fast. I actually well, did th- care. And please don't say that. 
Yeah, and this is why she eventually was cut. And I think, you know, it's funny, you uh, mentioning Nantucket. She came out to Nantucket for the Nantucket Project and was talking about about sexism and why she was cut and all that stuff. And I was like, I told the director, I said, she was cut because she was getting dr you know drunk and vans and, and saying bad things and wasn't a good teammate and wasn't a good representative of the United States. And that has nothing to do with your sex. It had, I, if a man had done that, I, I would feel the same exact way. So she was, she was sued by her sister, wasn't she? I mean, she, she physically attacked. She beat up her nephew her who was, nephew, yeah. you know, and they said he was like, he's six, four. So that was, but yeah. apparently he was like 15, you know? So yes. I, I don't know. There's a lot of, of, of to unpack for her there uh, psychologically. I can't believe she's given, um, she's uh, given the mantle to speak about those exactly. things. She's done and dusted. She's only besmirching her reputation. And this leads us to the U.S. Uh, getting uh, getting beat up by Sweden, which Grail, I got to say, you were concerned about uh, months ago. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to me, and guys, correct me if you think I'm wrong or I'm being sexist, but it seems like the lunatics are running the asylum with the U.S. women's national team. Now, having said that, those players have been there for two, three cycles. And what happens is familiarity breeds contempt. So... The same thing happened when Harksey, John Harks was on the national team and, and Tab and, and Claudia, they were there for so long for three cycles of World Cups that it was like they felt it was their team. Mm -hmm. Now, these women in particular, uh, Hope Solo was one of them, uh, uh, Morgan, uh, Rapino, they've gotten basically three coaches fired or two at least, right? Uh, mm -hmm. and, and they just decide they have guaranteed contracts. There's a ton of them over 30. Now, compare that conversely with the men's team Look how many young players are coming up and pushing out the old players. Michael Bradley, Josie Altidore, they're gone. They're not in the team anymore because it's a young person's game at that level. And you, you have some curmudgeonly 30-something-year-olds that have been just been basically annoying the soccer community, people that are in the know with their, their misinformation campaign for the last couple of years, uh, which seems to me like a money grab. So I, I don't know. I think, well, I think well, you, they've got to – this coach has got to sort of put in the young and let the old go. Uh, go ahead. I mean, just looking at the game, you obviously have 10 players that are 30 plus, but not all of them started. Rapino didn't start. Lloyd didn't start. Ertz didn't start. So I'm not sure that. Eight Why are they be, there then? Why but, are they even but, there? But, but then? anyway, what, just the, the match itself, Lenny, I'm not sure age was the issue. They were just not as fit as Sweden. They definitely weren't as organized as Sweden. They weren't prepared. See, the problem with all of these easy matches they've been playing during this 44 match on beaten streak is they have they get no pushback from the opposition right, right. so when they lose the ball they can get it right back they can they can make mistakes in the box no repercussions you know in a lot of the games the, the opposition never had a shot on goal so finally they're actually playing a team that played a few months ago that could have beaten them that that actually got a 1-1 draw so going in again not having good competition makes things very problematic and they were just they well, were Jason, out really? out out physically uh, you know from a physical standpoint they were beaten and from a tactical standpoint they were beaten they were just beaten up and down the pitch look we've we've uh, talked about PSG uh, you know in Ligue and how the lack of competition during the season sometimes softens them so when they go to the Champions League they're not as hardened battle hardened yes. and I think you're talking to the same point there 
Um, I think you just, I mean, I, I think I can refer to players as 30 years old as old, and that's not ageism. That's we're professional athletes here. Uh, I said the same thing about the men. So, you know, you do age out by 32, you're, you're done and dusted. Never mind, you know, it starts to happen at about 30. And to have carry that many players of that age, you know, uh, a lot of coaches don't take older players if they're going to be on the bench because it's, it's a disruptive force. Because yeah. a play, look at the, 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 the shitstorm Carly Lloyd started with basically saying, I want to play. I didn't like the coach. And this is when they won the World Cup. Yeah. Um, it's a problem. And like but, I said, but, but, I but watched the be, exact same thing happen yeah. with, with the Harks years with the U.S. men's national team. But to be fair, the younger players didn't play well either. Collectively, the 11 players that started that game were outmuscled. They were outworked. I right. mean, they lost every 50-50 ball. I was keeping track of the 50-50 balls. They, they literally lost everyone. Um, Alyssa Nair, the keeper, had never been forced to make more than one save in any game. She had to make three in the first eight minutes. She had to make six overall. I'm not going to pin this game on her, but again, she's not in a she's not battle tested. Right, so right. all of these things come, you know, kind of come together. Look, the bottom None line. The bottom line is they have two more games. They've got New Zealand coming up on Saturday, Australia Tuesday. It's and that's a tough e game. It, but it's an, e it's an easy format because they only have 12 teams in this tournament and eight teams go through. So the U.S. would have to lose again, frankly, to, 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 to not go through, which I don't right. see happening. But it's a, definitely a wake-up call. Well, here's the thing that, you know, I noticed from watching the highlights and things was, you know, the U.S. always had the physicality, the athleticism. We always talked about how the other teams were starting to develop better uh, skills um, and technique, which we lacked there. And we've seen it at a lower level here in the United States. You always get that one player who's fast, but he has no skill, but he scores a bunch of goals. He keeps getting pushed up. And then when finally you need to develop some skills, he, they don't have them, he or she. So it seemed like to me, uh, Sweden matched up with them physically, athletically, and then they were, they were above them in uh, tactics and technique. They were really good in the air. They, they have not faced another team during this 22-0-1 Vlatko Andonovsky streak in the 44 unbeaten that was other than Sweden before. They haven't faced a team that's really good in the air. Sweden scored two of their three goals on headers. Now, poor marking. Don't get me wrong. A lot of this wasn't being out jumped. It was just not marking people. But again, they're just not used to this. I think the whole right. experience was like, oh, my goodness, we usually have gobs of time to do whatever we want, they had no time. Right, and we talked about this in the last World Cup, we saw parity starting to happen a little bit. And hey, you know, there is, it is, I posted something on, on the Facebook page about, you know, it's apples and oranges when you're talking about the men's team compared to the women's team and the competition. Because the competition worldwide in the men's category is through the roof. The women's competition is not as, as great. It's not as good. Enough of these countries have not developed their, their women's teams. We have the advantage of college. That's like just a, a just a bullion base of just developing skill and playing for four years, title nine, which is all great stuff. So I always say to our, you know, our women's team has opened it eyes, opened the eyes of the world to what is possible and what women should be able to do in these other places where uh, yeah. culturally they're not allowed to play. But to say that, you know, now that they're actually getting some competition, it's it's going to be tough. And they're they're I'm not, I'm not sure if they're ready for it. Certainly, if the players can make decisions like what coach they want when they got rid of Sermani just by saying, you know, they didn't like what he was doing, bringing in new players, by the way, younger mm -hmm. players. That's why he got they got rid of him. The players got rid of him. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, so, so I see like, you cannot be there that long. The U.S. national team was not Josie Altidore's team. It was not Michael Bradley's team. As much as they were in the fabric there, players were coming in and out. And these women have guaranteed contracts. They have guaranteed medical. Um, so it's where's the, um, where's the fire to, right. to be afraid of losing your position? Look at these guys in the U.S. team right now. Um, you got all these young guys. Guys, we can't even keep track of them all yeah. that are coming in and out. So I think it's growing pains for the U.S. women's national yeah. team. It is a wake-up call. And I think for the last two years, they've been completely distracted by all other issues. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, I still haven't, I don't know if you guys have watched that movie yet, but just the trailer pissed me off so badly. I was like, oh man, things are running amok over there. I've got, I've got to give props to Julie Foudy who did the color along with Arlo White and they were both fantastic by the way, but Julie Foudy was very honest and basically said they were lethargic and sloppy. And I was very glad right. to hear kind of an iconic former player come out there and call it as she saw it. I think my only suggestion to Andonovsky would be, Start Katarina Macario in the number nine spot. Put bring in the new, bring person, in the new players. Yeah, just do it. It's not going to. It's. I'm not saying change the entire team, but they need something up front that has a little bit more fire because they had nothing going up front at all. You, you talk about Julie Foudy when when over the ball was at ESPN. We covered the Women's World Cup, um, and I mean her insight is just spot on always. Mm -hmm. um, and I think she doesn't always jump and play the sexist card. I think she just talks about your professional athletes. You get called on the carpet. Uh, you get called on the carpet for your performance and it has nothing to do with um, with uh, your sex. So um, now the men's team, conversely, like I said, I cannot keep track of all the players, but there's been some bright spots that have come out of that. Uh, I think you talked about Lexi Lalas said, hey, well, the result was an A, but the performance was an F. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, Lexi and I don't, agree on everything. But in this case, I, I, I totally did uh, agree with that assessment. I just thought it was very, dis I just thought it was very disjointed. Um, and um, again, you know, they scored in the first 20 seconds, the fastest goal in U.S. men's national team history, which eerily reminded me of England scoring in the first two minutes against Italy. Right, right, right. And then basically not being able to deal with the fact that they went up so quickly. And I just felt, you know, as in that game, the U.S. kind of pulled back and just didn't offer much for the rest of the game. I mean, they tried two up front and uh, Zardes and DK just did not impress. Um, yeah. And just overall, I just thought it was a, 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 just a bad disjointed performance. Okay. I thought, you know, Zardes is, is going to be coming off the bench and, you know, he's got some wheels. So, but I think they still don't have that, that hold up player, which I think DK can do. They seem to have him playing um, sort of a, you know, through balls and trying to run on to stuff as opposed to with his back to the net. So I think that's what we, that's what we need. But um, there were some bright spots. Um, I thought uh, Sands, I thought distributed the ball well coming mm -hmm. out of the back. It was, uh, it was kind of nice to see some composure there. Um, you know, uh, Sam, did you watch the game? Yeah, I saw most of it. Um, I thought, yeah. you know, I, I, I think, you know, just first of all, to give Canada some props, I think Canadian soccer has come a really long mm -hmm. way. Absolutely. I mean, just, the, yeah. just the fact that this was, you know, build as like a fun game to watch i mean i don't right. think we were saying that about canada you know too long ago um and uh yeah I, I again i think when you score so early it just conditions the game in a certain way which is too right. bad but mm -hmm. 
I also think there's ways to play with the lead that are the, the U S just didn't seem to pick like a strategy. It's either like mm -hmm. you sit back and try to play on the counter or, you know, you really go for it and try to get that second goal. And the U S just kind of seemed to be somewhere in that middle ground where they were getting stretched out unnecessarily and yeah. just didn't quite know how to handle it from a tactical standpoint. I felt yeah. like, um, yeah. well, I think Walker Zimmerman going down early kind of that hurts. seemed to really throw yeah. them in a bit of a tizzy there. They kind of lost mm -hmm. composure and, uh, and lost their shape a little bit, but and, you know, and thing, that call, well, that call could have gone either way. I thought I didn't, know I, I don't know think it was a penalty. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a weird, awkward tussle. They were both leaning on each other and then they just mm. kind of, he Zimmerman kind of fell on him in the box. I'm not saying it was definitely a penalty, but I could have seen it go. either. Well, way, I, right? I think it, I think it probably was a penalty if I'm honest, but I also think the Canadian player fouled Zimmerman before they got first. The box. Yeah. yeah. So that should have yeah. negated it yeah. on a micro, a macro level. Basically, yeah. I think it threw off the rhythm of the game. But uh, Sam, as you mentioned with Canada, uh, you know, in the 80s when I was playing, Canada was producing a lot of great players. It's sort of the Bron uh, Bronco uh, Sagoda sort of time. And um, they fell behind a little bit. And what is really encouraging, you know, we have our big Mexico matchup, but now we have Canada, too. Mm -hmm. they, are, they are a good team with a lot of, you know, great players. And so uh, MLS has developed a lot of those guys. And yeah. um, I mean, you know, 10 MLS players on the U.S., eight MLS starters, like so 18, 18 starters out there. It was very physical. I, I've got to say, really like physical. every 20 seconds, I felt like there was another soldier. It was like watching a civil war battle. Like I would look across <laughs> the pitch and there was another person wounded. Down. And it wasn't a fake. It wasn't the usual... Uh, you know, I'm going to delay, delay the game type thing. It was people that were injured because a lot of guys came off. It was a chippier yeah. affair than the Mexico game, which is unbelievable. Uh, yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, but hey, as far as, you know, fans, uh, we love these big rivals. So I think when we, you know, to go back to the women's game, um, the Sweden, Australia and England are their big rivals. Uh, and we'd like to see more. You know, uh, yeah. but I well, love France, these regional. France and Germany. Uh, France and Germany is not even in the Olympic tournament, so they dodged a bullet by not having the top two teams or two of the top three in yeah. there. But 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 Brazil beat China five 0 Watch out for Brazil because remember, Brazil's coached by Pia, the former coach of the U.S. Women's National Team and Sweden. Oh, right, right. And right. Uh, and and uh, and and Marta amazingly is still playing. She had two more goals. Uh, Brazil could be a, a, another big competitor for them all right yeah. so uh let's move on guys anything else before we move to well, i just MLS? wanted to say on, on yeah. both these tournaments i think you know the i think the u.s losing this game from a sort of neutral fan standpoint is mm -hmm. a really good thing because mm -hmm. i think the sort of general narrative is like well what's the point the u.s is going to kill everybody for nothing right and it's kind of boring yeah. uh so i i don't know i think it provides like a nice narrative now to the tournament um and, and the, yeah sorry. i just want to i just want to say it, i get to the you know it gets me annoyed like out here when i'm just in the general public with civilians talking they're like well why can't the men win the world cup the women win the world cup also like i got it guys man it's just so different do you have an hour that, <laughs> you want to explain why um you know yeah. so. um and then looking at the gold cup i'm you know i think I, i'm pretty excited for the knockout rounds i have to say i thought some of the games in the, the opening you know group stage were not that exciting but i yeah i'm impressed by how serious like some teams seem to be taking this especially especially the central american teams yeah. uh you can tell that it really means a lot to them so i think it's gonna be a really you know everyone everyone thinks it's gonna be usa mexico in the final i don't think that's a given i don't think yeah. so yeah i don't it's, think so 
way, either. El, El Salvador is playing much better, and that's Hugo Perez is their coach, and he's done a great mm-hmm. job. Yeah, he's great. I just, the only thing about the tournament I find weird is Martinique and uh, Qatar. Yeah, but we're done it, with it, that now. Right? No, well, I, I guess Qatar I, I is still it was just in like, there. But, but why even bother? Like, I yeah. would, <laughs> that, that adds nothing. Well, McGrail, you're a marketing guy, so you know why. I mean, it brings in some numbers, and, uh, you know, uh, Qatar, it's like – you know they're, they're in the soccer game right now right. and none of not a single guy was born in Qatar but right. uh, but but they're in it so uh so so some good stuff so MLS there's some um some coaching changes Grail yeah so Atlanta FC which is just kind of a rudderless ship since they won uh MLS Cup back in 2018 Tata Martino was the was the head coach, the toast of the town. Atlanta was getting like 70,000 people at their Mercedes-Benz stadium. I mean, everything was like just ascendant for Atlanta. Now, Gabriel Heinz gets fired after a two, four and seven start. That was on the heels of the, you know, the ill-fated Frank DeBoer tenure where he got fired after a a bad performance down in uh, Orlando and that uh, MLS is back. So it's just interesting. Carlos uh, Bocanegra, uh, the former U.S. men's national team player, who's their technical director, said the firing was due to day-to-day leadership of the team. I'm not sure. Basically, the guy didn't do a good job, I guess. No, that means he lost the locker room, which is, yeah. you know, uh, what, what happens. So, and then, but, this but is... so what's next? I mean, that's the thing is that like Atlanta FC is a big part of MLS and they were kind of the poster child of how to build a new team, right? How about and a kick-ass American team. college coach like Mike Noonan, Mike Noonan perhaps? Yes. Yes, you go yes. there. Let's so, put, uh, yeah, let's put it out there right now. We want Mike Noonan to be their head coach. Or, uh, oh, mama, my mama. Uh, St. John's, that coach. Uh, he's, he's oh, Dave Mazur. Well. Dave Mazur. So, yes. uh, you know, one of those or guys. Sasha. Or, or Sasha. You know, these these guys know how to to meld American and, and foreign players together. They know, yeah. you know, tactics, technique. And look, it's the same complaint I have about the broadcasting booth. Put some Americans in there, man. Put more in there. And not just ex-players, but then same thing with the coaches. Like, why aren't college, great college coaches moving up to the pro ranks and a greater speed. Yeah, I can't remember if Gabriel Heinz came from Holland or Germany. It sounds like a German name, but uh, that was a big selling point was getting him. Well, Frank obviously came. Frank DeBorg did come from Holland, but then I think Heinz might have come from Germany. But yeah, it would be great if they went uh, domestic. Heinz is Argentine. Oh, yeah. I'm I don't know where he came. No, I don't no, know where no, he came no. from, but yeah. yeah. That's where all the my, my bad. Did a lot of the Germans go to Argentina yes. right after the World War? Yeah. So no, well, they have a big German population in Argentina. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, good. That's yeah, yes. good. All right, so uh, guys, let's let's uh, let's wrap up there. Take a break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking to Gianluca Batoni. He um, is the. What's the director of admissions? Boy, guys, aren't you glad you're not sweating admissions anymore? Uh, he's the director of admissions for Soccer Management Institute in Rome. They take uh, young American players and uh, educate them culturally, educationally, and, uh, and in soccer, most importantly. So when we come back, Gianluca Batoni. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. 
All right, our guest this week on Over the Ball is Gianluca Batoni. Uh, Gianluca is the Director of Admissions for Soccer Management Institute in Rome. Gianluca knows the soccer market very well. Has he played in the NCAA as, uh, for, for Rockhurst University in Kansas City, a, a team I kind of used to follow because one of my uh, teammates in the indoor league was, uh, was from there, Ted Powers. So, Gianluca, how are you? Welcome to Over the Ball. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you, guys. Thank you for, for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here and to talk about soccer. Uh, we are all passionate about it, I guess. So it's a, it's a great opportunity to be here. I'm excited about it. Yeah, and I, I hope I'm saying your name wrong, uh, right, because when I say it, Sam usually corrects me with his Italian and <laughs> the proper way to say it. So uh, It was so, perfect. It was perfect. But I'm just, oh, you know, don't I mean, do that. Don't do yeah. that to him. See, Sam, see, Sam you're, you're, a tough, you're a tough taskmaster with the Italian. But anyway, Gianluca, uh, talk a little bit about Soccer Management Institute, because, look, we were talking before you got on, uh, all of us, uh, you know, as I'm too old to play now, that ship has sailed as have my legs, but um, what a wonderful opportunity for some young players to get over there. I wish this was around when I was playing. Give me the pitch that if I was a young player, what would your pitch be to say, you know, join us over in Rome? Yeah, well, as you as you mentioned before, I played uh, soccer in the United States, and uh, let's say that the main people at Soccer Management Institute, we all uh, played and studied in the United States. So we're really, really familiar with the system. And while we were there, we uh, kind of saw, you know, a need for young student athletes uh, from the United States and then, you know, uh, expanding to uh, an international base uh, for them to have an opportunity abroad to uh, explore the world, you know, outside the United States or outside their own country. Uh, we did that ourselves and uh, we came back as a, as a better person, first of all. Uh, yeah. And we really believe in the combination of education and uh, soccer together. Uh, and how this combination makes people uh, better uh, persons overall. So we decided to we decided to kind of export the American model, which you know we thought it was great, um, the college model in Italy because there is nothing like that in Italy or uh, you know similar pro program maybe in uh, in Europe, but uh, uh, there are some uh, uh, differences. So yeah. at the moment we provide uh, several programs. Uh, uh, we have a master's program, uh, which is a one-year program that focuses on. Uh, um, uh, sports management and coaching. So it's a program designed for anyone who wants to pursue a career within the sports industry once they're done playing. An undergraduate program similar, you know, to a bachelor's degree in the United States, international education, three years program. Uh, we have several majors available, uh, university accredited by the Italian Ministry of Education. And we have a gap year program. So those players who, you know, after maybe high school, they don't want to jump into college right away, or maybe they don't find the right fit uh, right yeah. away. They maybe want, you know, spend a year abroad, uh, explore uh, the world and uh, uh, get a sense of uh, uh, how soccer is approached in a different country, especially Italy. Uh, so this is a program that uh, is going really, really well right now because we all know about COVID and uh, the, the, the problems that that has brought you know, to, into college in terms of scholarships, opportunities, actual eligibility. Um, so again, uh, we wanted to design program, a specific program for uh, uh, different uh, type of student athletes who have a common interest, you know, soccer, and uh, want to combine that with, uh, with education. Well, there's a lot there uh, to unpack. I mean, first of all, you're, you're basking in the glow of the Euros and, uh, you know, the, the Italians big win there. Um, the gap year sounds really interesting because, uh, you know, you touched on a few things. One, we have the college model here in the United States, which um, we, we like. Uh, it doesn't always develop the best players uh, all the time because they're not training all the time, you know, on this sort of professional track. And 
we have, of course, Christian Polisic, which we talk about. And, and he talked about the most important years were 14 to 16 uh, to develop players. But that gap year sounds fascinating because, you know, I always can tell uh, a European person who has spent some time in America and, and, a, and an American who has spent time in Europe. It's, uh, you know, builds culture. So there's a lot to learn there. And it, it seems like a gap year would be a wonderful way for a player to sort of get used to not living at home, playing at a high level and getting an education before they get ready for college. Exactly, exactly. And uh, we actually started this program last year and uh, uh, it's going great. And uh, it's, again, as you mentioned, um, the college system is great, but at the same time doesn't provide you, we believe, with the right structure to become a better player. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about the season, you play for, what, three months? four games every 10, every 10 days, so you don't even have the time to actually prepare the game. And we face that problem at Rutgers University. You know, you play on Friday, you try to rest on Saturday, on Sunday you're tired, but you play. Uh, Monday's off, Tuesday you recover, Wednesday you're still recovering, Thursday you prepare the game. So yeah. there is no time to improve as a player and prepare the game. Here in Europe, in general, this soccer season goes from August to May. So you actually have a preseason, you have time to prepare games, you work the week and uh, you play once once a week. So with the gap year, we try to provide our athletes uh, uh, with the opportunity to be trained by our, our professional coaches and learn the Italian methodology, the SMI methodology, which focuses a lot uh, on the technique uh, uh, aspect of the game, uh, the technical aspect and the te technical aspect of the game, which as you know, it's uh, one of the key aspects here in uh, in Italy and uh, in some other countries in Europe. Absolutely, which was on which was on display in the Euros this uh, this summer. So you know, it's interesting. I think we're trying to change things here in the states uh, with the NCAA to have a split season, so there'd be more time to train mm -hmm. and to recover, and to keep up academically. Uh, and then you know, you mentioned you played uh, for Rockhurst in in Kansas City. The three of us played in the Northeast as well. And that last month of playing soccer, you're playing in ice and snow. So it, uh, it, it's not very good looking soccer, to say the least. So, uh, so Sam? Yeah, Gianluca, great, uh, great to have you on the show. Um, I'm curious what, uh, you know, what, what your experience is with American students coming over to Italy and how they adapt to the Italian game. What, what's maybe difficult for them to, to understand and grasp and what, what comes maybe more naturally to them as players? Yeah, I think the main difference, I mean, the main obstacle is uh, what we were, I was talking about uh, right, you know, before uh, is the tactical and technical aspect of the game, because uh, that's something that we learn here in Italy when we're really young, when we are 10 years old. Uh, you know, I was lucky enough to play for the youth office in Milan and uh, every day of practice, we started the practice with 30, 45 minutes with the ball in our, on our feet and uh, uh, try to control the ball in different situations, get touches on the ball. Because, you know, uh, soccer is played with the ball and uh, to be a good team, you, you need to have uh, uh, players who know how to handle the ball, even though there are different positions, uh, different skills, you know. Right, right. Uh, but it's really important to understand those, uh, uh, those movements uh, without the ball, with or without the ball, understand your teammates, how, understand how to make the right run. And that's something that I, I think is the key aspect for the United States. You know, I, I think that uh, they definitely have a great talent of uh, a pool, pool of talent, you know, in the US, uh, they are great athletes, 
but I think uh, they're missing maybe the uh, the academies. You know, uh, they need to start working on those things when the players are really, really young. So that's the main obstacle that we see for American players once they, they arrive here. And then, you know, the physicality, I think those athletes are great, sometimes even better than uh, Italians. Uh, they just need to learn how to use the physicality because most of the time they go 100% for 90 minutes, 120 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Instead, you have to learn when you use the when you have to use the physicality, which moment of the game, and otherwise, you know, after 30 minutes you might be out of fuel. Uh, so you need to do your best uh, in every single situation. Gee, you you have played in college here in America, haven't you? Because that's that's basically <laughs> the experience I here. I, I, uh, it was a great experience. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I actually oh, no, enjoyed no. myself really, really much. How would you not? Probably, you know, Wednesday pub night. You probably had a few years after the game. <laughs> Grail? Benvenuto, Gianluca. Grazie, Grail. God, oh, please. Um, <laughs> I just did that for Flinny, by the way. Um, just kind of pulling a, a thread on Sam's question is, I'm just wondering more from a mindset perspective of the American college student versus the European college student. You know, we think of our students as being a little bit more coddled um, and, uh, you know, their parents are very involved. Everything's very structured. And I grew up in England and I know that, uh, you know, you had more license to develop the, the creative side of being a player. And I'm just wondering if you see a distinction because you went to school in the U.S. and you, you're obviously from Italy, uh, if there is a real difference between those two mindsets. Absolutely. I think there is a huge difference and I think it comes with uh, with the culture that we have, you know, in Italy or in England, in Europe in general about soccer. Here you're treated, you have a lot of pressure when you play, even when you're young. And sometimes it's hard to deal with that pressure when you're like 15, 16. And that's why even some of the most talented players do not get to the highest level. I had, the, uh, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to play with some amazing players and now they're playing you know, uh, regional divisions and doesn't make any sense for me, but it's not just about talent. And when I notice in the United States, I'll tell you uh, this story. So one of my first games in the United States, we lost like three or four zero. And after the game, all the people outside were telling me, great job, Gianluca, great job, great job. I was like, okay, why, why are you telling me great job if I lost four zero, right? And uh, it got me even more, you know, upset. And I think that's kind of the problem, you know, uh, it's good to support the players, your kids, but they also need to learn how, you know, how to overcome challenges because uh, they will be presented uh, a lot of those challenges, uh, how, um, you know, how, while they grow up. Uh, so what, you, what you're saying, I think it's extremely right. And that's something they have to face when they come here in, uh, in Italy. Well, I'll tell you this, John, the reason they were telling you good job, good job is you probably came over to the United States with some sweet Italian soccer skills <laughs> and they were watching you play on the ball, which because I've noticed, uh, you know, some Americans sort of an older generation, even if an American kid can juggle the ball and do some tricks, they look at it like you've invented fire. Uh, so I think, you know, what Grail was alluding to as well was in America, the physicality uh, is always emphasized here, uh, probably. And if you do skillful things, dance on the ball or anything, it's sometimes squeezed out of you. You get yelled at, play the ball, get rid of it, you know, just kick it forward. We sort of had an English mentality here. And I think now the United States is sort of having an amalgamation of different cultures sort of within it. And we're starting to play in, in lots of different ways. So Sam was sort of a fancy Italian player. Grail was sort of that uh, straight up and down on 95 uh, English player. And I... <laughs> I, uh, 
I had all styles. <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah, you had your own unique style. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Give me the ball. So, uh, Sam? Yeah, uh, I'm curious, John Luke. Obviously, you, you came over from Italy to play soccer here. And uh, I'm just wondering, we're seeing more and more Europeans make this decision to come play college soccer. So, can you just describe a little bit, you know, how you came to that decision and maybe, you know, why more and more Europeans are making that, that choice? Yes, yes. For me personally, you know, I, I didn't know anything about uh, college uh, in the United States uh, and the opportunity to use your soccer skills to get an education. I was lucky enough to be presented with, the, with that opportunity. I was working on my soccer career, but at a certain point I understood that, you know, I wasn't going be, uh, to become a professional. So luckily enough, I uh, chose, you know, to, to go to the United States and use my talent to, to get an education. And uh, when I left, uh, from Italy, uh, it was a moment where I kind of lost the happiness, you know, to play soccer because of what I was saying before. They put a lot of pressure, so sometimes you lose that joy to just go out and play the sport that you love. In the United States, I've, I found again that joy, and that's, I think, yeah. what's really amazing about the United States. I just had the opportunity to go on the field, have fun, play with my teammates, and didn't have to think about anything else. Here in Italy, you play the game, for the uh, for the week after, you know, until you play another game, uh, you're still thinking about the the, play, the game that you just play. Or people are still either mad at you, or they are they're saying, you know, you're a great player just because you play a, a great game. So I think uh, a lot of uh, European players are now taking that direction. Uh, first of all, because they're more familiar with the opportunity in the United States, and I think it wasn't uh, there was no awareness before. Um, and uh, uh, I also think there are more organizations in Europe in general that, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, market this, uh, this opportunity uh, in Europe uh, for European players. And also because the, the, um, the level in college in the United States, I think, is, uh, is getting higher uh, every year, to be honest. Well, you know, you talk, you talk about the college experience. You know, I would have loved an intense experience, uh, you know, in Europe. Uh, but also the college experience is you play the game. And then as soon as the game's over, you shower up and you go out and then you're thinking about beer and girls. So it's a, it's kind of a nice <laughs> experience. So uh, it is. Um, it and is. you get a college education here, which I think is one of the, the upsides because we all can't be professional soccer players. In fact, very few are. And so, you know, the good part about the United States is when you are finished with school, you have a degree. Um, exactly. In the uh, ESC, it's hard to combine education and uh, high level of soccer. Exactly. And that's why we came up with the, with these programs here. At some point, you have to choose, okay, I want to try my best to become pro or do I keep studying? Because it's hard to do both. But but, but both build character. And I think it's a no-lose situation. So, uh, Grail? Yeah, John, Luca, uh, Kevin mentioned the uh, triumph, Italy's triumph in the Euro 2020 tourney. And I was just curious if you anticipate because of that, there's so much attention being played to that. And there's a, kind of this whole romantic thing thing when it comes to Italy and soccer, if you anticipate an uptick in applications to your program from people over here, because I just think, you know, the world on that Sunday, you know, Italy as a country and the Italian national team just got a ton of additional exposure. Yeah, no, we definitely benefit from uh, from that win, that's for sure. And uh, we were already receiving a lot of applications for our programs uh, because within that uh, Italian soccer, it's really appealing, uh, you know, uh, from overseas, but also we're lucky enough to be in a great locations uh, such as Rome, really in the city center. So again, 
it's not just about education, soccer, but it's the overall experience. Um, so after the Euro, uh, we noticed that a lot of the players who were kind of undecided uh, whether they should not should come or should not come in our program, they decided to come. And that's why we're having some uh, uh, a lot of last uh, late commitments this year. Uh, I believe nice. that the Euro Cup did, their, uh, did its job here. Uh, but again, I think other than that, uh, uh, it's uh, something that uh, those are programs that will grow, grow, really grow in the future. Uh, mm -hmm. Because again, we see that the players who come here, you know, after one year, two or three, they just uh, uh, become better players, but also better people in, uh, in general. And then they, have, they can explore other opportunities either in Italy, in Europe, or back in the United States. I'd, I'd love to fill out an application right now to say the truth. <laughs> Spend some time in Rome playing ball. It'd be awesome. Grail? Uh, no, that's me. I, I had oh, one, last, one last question. So you have programs, you know, for men and, and women, or the program is for men and women. So I'm curious what, um, you know, what you guys maybe have learned from, from the women's game, because, you know, the American women that come over are, you know, generally considered to be amongst the top players in the world, whereas for the men, it's a little bit different. So I'm just curious about that difference. Yeah, yeah. No, American women's soccer is definitely the best in the world. And that's why uh, the women players who come here uh, have a huge, huge positive impact in the Italian, the women in the Italian uh, soccer movement on the women's side. Uh, on the women's side, uh, there are a lot of teams who are investing uh, right now. So there are more teams who uh, decide to make their own team. Uh, and uh, so that's why a lot of these women players are able to play at a professional and semi-professional uh, level here in Italy, especially the ones who graduated from college. Maybe they don't find the right opportunity in the United States, so they want to go abroad. And a lot of the D1 or top D2 uh, players, uh, they usually sign at a professional, semi-professional level. And that makes our uh, professional academy, our environment extremely com competitive uh, nice. on the women's side. As you mentioned, on the men's side, obviously in Italy, the competition is extremely high. So it's harder for a man to make it to the professional level compared to, to a woman. Well, for the women, it's a lot like, uh, you know, basketball was for men, you know, here in exactly. the States, they, they would go overseas and, and, and play all the time. Well, I tell you, this sounds great. And, you know, what was really on display, I think, in the Euros was the ability uh, that the Italians had to play pretty much every style, uh, you know, these they, we've always known that they can lock it down defensively and play extremely well. It's like an iron curtain, but the creativity in the midfield with Jorginho and then up front, some of the goals that they were scored, incredibly creative. Um, and it was nice to see the Italian team play with flair and creativity because you know they have it in them and it yeah. hasn't always been the case. So it was a, it was a nice win. So, well, it sounds like a great program. We're all jealous that we're not uh, 17, 18 years old. And, uh, <laughs> if you want to come visit, you know, that would be, that would be great. A reason to come visit Rome. You don't need many exactly, of those, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it would no, be no. absolutely fantastic. One of my favorite places. I, um, I spent, well, my, I had my honeymoon there. That wasn't such a great thing. I had it in, <laughs> in, in Rome and uh, on the Amalfi coast in Positano. So it was, well, uh, that's, that sounds amazing. One yeah, of the, it, my favorite spots. It was amazing, except for the marriage part. All right. Uh, <laughs> John well, this Luca. time you can come on your own if you want to. <laughs> exactly, exactly. John Luca Batoni, uh, thank you so much for joining us. The the uh, the new he's the director of admissions for Soccer Management Institute in Rome. It uh, takes American players and um, and she's ups their game and gives them a great cultural experience as well. Uh, John Luca, thank you so much for joining us on Over the Ball. Thank you for your time, guys. It was uh, great to meet you. Hopefully we can stay connected.
Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. Yeah, well, that was great. Guys, to be young again and filling out that application to go live in Rome and play ball every day. Man, how awesome would that be? I, 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 I could uh, sense you sweating bullets thinking about having to fill out a college application, Flinny. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I, man, I mean, but we, we, I already said it. I would have loved to have done that, I, you know, because I, I know people who have, even that student, that, that semester abroad, people come yep. back with their eyes opened a little bit, whether they're reading the International Herald Tribune, uh, they're meeting different cultures, different places, especially for Americans, this big it opens country. You, it opens yeah. you to the world. Look, Sam, you spent time in Italy. I spent time in England. You know, my perspective changed completely. I spent time in, in jail, so it's all very yeah. different. I think no, you just, were in, you were in Kalamazoo or wherever you were. Like Kalamazoo, were. Michigan, yeah, exactly. Fort Wayne, Indiana, <laughs> Dallas. So yeah, yeah. some just of the speaking, cultural icons of the world. Yeah. Speaking Go from ahead. my own oh, my own experience of trying to play a little soccer in Italy after college, the the most difficult thing is you know getting a player card, like getting registered and getting residency and everything as a foreigner. Uh, so, yeah, as a foreigner. So having someone who can kind of take care of that for you and walk yeah. you through the process, I think is just huge. Uh, because mm -hmm. as a student, you're obviously you have the student visa. So you're, you know, you're, you're okay, you're allowed to be there. Yeah. 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 Okay. So they're, they're much tougher there than here, huh? I guess. Well, yeah. Uh, so well, I don't, I don't know on a whole, but certainly for soccer, it can be pretty. Hey, you got let, let me ask you this, Sam. Um, COVID into the mix. Yeah. A lot of uh, our players going over there, you know, Weston McKinney. And now we have um, John Luca Busio is heading over from KC. Um, and he's heading to this team called uh, Venezia. Talk about yeah. that because I didn't I didn't know anything about this. Yeah. So uh, this is Venezia, which is uh, Venezia. just how you say Venice in Italian. But the team is obviously called Venezia, oh, who were promoted really? uh, back to Serie A. Uh, this past season after being out of it for more than 20 years, I think. Uh, and they've signed two actually USA internationals this summer. The first one being um, Tanner Tessman from FC Dallas, who's 19. And then are expected to finalize the Gianluca Busio deal, I think sometime probably in the next few days, uh, who's also 19 from Sporting I was impressed KC. with him. I was impressed yeah. with him. Yeah, I, I've liked him a lot in the Gold Cup, the composure that he yeah. had on the ball. Um and sort of the the way he was able to dictate the pace of the game, I thought was really cool. Um, but this is interesting to me on a few levels. The the first one being that that Venezia is owned by an American uh, whose mm. name is Duncan Niederauer. He's the former CEO of the New York Stock Exchange. Um, so he's he's done something big in the past, yeah. uh, and he seems to be you know really making a push to sign American players to try to appeal to the American audience. And um, I, you know, I have to say, I feel like he's the first foreign owner I've seen, or the first owner of any kind in Syria, who's really finally pushing the sort of charm and romanticism of Italy, uh, which is something I've been waiting for them to do for such a long time. Because yeah. I mean, Italy is this place that is visited and loved by so many people. Uh, yet it's magical. On. It really is magical. Yeah. But the uh, but on the club level, the soccer teams don't have that kind of same. Um, you know, reach, I would say. So, mm -hmm. you know, we had Tessman being uh, introduced, you know, in a water taxi uh, in Perfect. in the Venice canals. Um, they have one of the coolest jerseys, I think, in all of European soccer, which actually just says Venezia across the chest instead of having an ad there, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think this, you know, ties into something I've been waiting to happen for a long time, which is finally someone kind of 
being able to, to, to market this kind of stuff, because as I always say, you know, you have teams like in Liverpool and Manchester, nothing against those two cities, but they're not, <laughs> you know, Rome and Venice. They're yet. selling the club. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But this is, you know, tying the club more to yeah. the city itself. But, you know, what, it's interesting. you talk about the culture and Italy itself, but I think this is the first guy who sort of, uh, well, Roma had Michael Bradley, but seems like he's really grabbing good American players, young players to market them as well. And what's mm -hmm. encouraging for us as American footballers is that we actually have uh, players that we can send over there and they can hang in there and hold their own and do more than hold their own, like in Weston McKinney's case. Yeah. And I think it's becoming, I mean, American players are almost in vogue right now, which is mm -hmm. something that is, I'm not saying they don't deserve to be heading over there by any means, but it's just crazy to see how many, you know, young players are getting snatched up by these teams. And, and speaking of Italy and uh, AC Milan, Grail, yeah, so um, some um, surprising news uh, regarding our friend, AC Milan CEO, Ivan uh, Gazidis, who was diagnosed with throat cancer. Apparently, uh, they got it early. They expect, uh, the medical people expect him to make a full recovery. But I just wanted to make sure that we passed along our best to Ivan, my former New York Athletic Club teammate, wonderful guy, great family <coughs> man, obviously successful executive, and we wish him nothing but the best. Yeah, you know, Ivan is has done so much for this game uh, in the world and in this country. Uh, I think he played in college here too, didn't he? Uh, um, Did he play he, here because I think no, I, I think he came over here after college actually because he was born in South Africa but educated in England, and I'm pretty sure he came over here after. College. He came over here like in the early '90s, I think, when he became a deputy. Uh, Commissioner, he worked for actually. He worked for the law firm of Alan Rothenberg, and then he ended up being becoming deputy commissioner. He knew the game. Yeah, I tell you, you can trace a lot of people back to Alan Rothenberg too. And but yeah. Ivan's been had a really wonderful impact. And I know you've played with him. He's a, a heck of Great a player. player. So Great all of player. us here at Over the Ball, we uh, wish Ivan uh, a speedy recovery uh, from from that. And yeah. uh, so uh, so thoughts out to to Ivan Gazidis. All right, everybody. That's all the time we have today. Wait, um, I got over. a little quiz. You're trying oh, to get out of God, here. Gonna, yeah, I was, early side. You, you, but. Guys, you were talking about college admissions and everything. I was getting all flustered. I uh, Flynnie's got to go walk his dog or something. I don't know what's going on. It's like college. So I have, I have a, a brief quiz looking at the, the history of the Olympic soccer tournament, which, as we've mentioned, uh, at least on the men's side is, you know, kind of oddly structured. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, let's just get right into it. So when was the first men's Olympic soccer tournament held? I'm going to say 1960. Soccer, really? Olympics? Which one was Jesse Owens in? That was around the war. That would have been 34, maybe, or 38, 30, 30, 36. Oh, I mean, 36. Yeah. 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 I'm going with 36. Yeah. Okay. It was actually held in uh, 1900 in just the Whoa. second Olympics. Wow, the year uh, Grail was born. <laughs> however, the first two editions of the tournament in 1900 and 1904 were made up of only three teams. Um, and in one case, there were actually two American teams in the tournament and one Canadian. So it was a little weird. But well, 1908, 1908 is really the date that most people give the first uh, you okay. know, proper like organized international tournament. Either of those teams. dates... Either of those dates, however, make it um, by not a huge margin, but make it the oldest international soccer tournament. The first Copa America was held in 1916. First World Cup was in 1930. And the first Euro was in 1958. So which country, question two, has won the most men's Olympic soccer tournaments with three gold medals? 
I'm going to say Brazil. Okay, this is a almost impossible. It's a trick question. It's actually Hungary. It's Uruguay. Hungary? Hungary, oh. Hungary. They won in the 50, Magpies. 52, 64, and 68. Uh, question three Which country has won the most medals altogether on the men's side? Brazil again? <laughs> or Germany? Germany. Are we talking about any sport? Wait. Soccer. No, soccer, you moron. No, no, but which, I'm sorry, which country has won the most medals? All together in the men's soccer tournament. Oh, okay. Germany? Okay, it is Brazil. They've won six medals, but have only won gold once. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Ooh, that's kind of a trick. Uh, next question. What's the best the U.S. men has ever finished uh, from 1908 onwards? Quarterfinals. I'm going to say semis. Okay, yeah, the semis. They got fourth place in 2000, losing to Chile in the bronze medal match. Uh, okay, question five. When was the first women's Olympic soccer tournament held? Oh, we know that didn't. That we knew that tip took a while. Um, let's see. I'm going to say even later. I'm going to say 68. I think that was a long time coming. Uh, it's in the 70s, I think. All right. It's actually 96, five years after the first women's world cup in 1991. Wow. And you talk about women's soccer around the world. Yeah. I mean, this is, and you know, like, look, this is a legit gripe right there. And again, this is where the U S women's team has paved the way for women around the world no to doubt. start playing they they you know high profile so so you know, this is an e- them, but yeah this is an easy one which country has won the most women's olympic soccer tournaments with four gold medals u.s u.s yeah. yes the u.s 96 2004 2008 and 2012 uh last question the u.s also has one silver medal meaning it has five medals across six olympic appearances which country has the second most medals Australia. I'm going to say Germany. Germany is correct with four medals, one gold and three bronze. Das ist gut, young girl. Das ist gut. Das ist gut. All right. Good, good quiz, Sam. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it then? That's it. All right, guys. Uh, Sam can follow. I mean, uh, Flynnie can finally go walk his dog now. Oh, my dog. Well, I was getting, you know, we should have, we should talk about Ivan now, but that was, uh, I, we, I threw it out there too early for you guys. But, uh, but again, our thoughts and uh, go out to Ivan, get through this, pal, uh, and um, live to fight another day. So, uh, all right, everybody, that's all the time we have on Over the Ball today. I'd like to thank our guest, very interesting guest, Gianluca Batoni, the Director of Admissions for Soccer Management Institute in Rome. For Grail Hallett and Sam Griswold, I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB.